All right, please turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians in chapter 6, and we're looking at our final message of 7 and looking at the book of Ephesians. And uh, again, we just hit the highlights. Uh, at a later date, I'd love to spend more time uh, journeying through this book and taking time to see the beauty of these truths in a little with some more depth. But Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 10 through the end of the chapter. Some of you may have been following the war in Ukraine. It's been going on for just a little over a year now. Um, one thing that I thought about in considering that war of what it must be like to be a Ukrainian citizen and uh, not just have war in some faraway place, but to have war, as it were, in your own backyard, uh, to be fighting in your neighborhood or, or to be seeing your friends and loved ones, your neighbors being displaced or perhaps even killed and how that just is a different perspective than anything I can even imagine. Uh, can we say it this way? There's a daily battle going on in Ukraine. And so our hearts go out to those who uh, are embroiled in that conflict and, of course, uh, prayerfully ask uh, that it would end soon. But, uh, you know, you're in a battle too. Uh, not one that has physical weapons, but one that has spiritual weapons. But it is a battle nonetheless. And although it is easy to kind of overlook or ignore this battle that rages on around us, uh, the Bible tells us we need to be ready to fight, ready to fight. And that's what we find right here in the, the book of Ephesians, starting uh, chapter 6 and verse 10. <clears throat> I'm going to allow you to remain seated uh, for the reading of the word. This says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the schemes, the strategies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, no, no, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your uh, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this very end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. But that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the battle. 
Uh, that's been the prayer in chapter one. Open the eyes, help them to see who they are in Christ and the realities of this new humanity, this new identity in Christ. And then, Lord, in, uh, we see where there's a prayer for power in chapter three. God, that's what we need. Open our eyes, help us to see then the power. And then, Lord, help us to live accordingly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just go over what we've been learning so far. So God is redeeming or reclaiming his corrupted creation through Christ, beginning with the church, so that we might rejoice in him forever. That's the big picture. That's what Ephesians is all about. And now as we have this final theme, uh, we see that Christ's work for us and in us will help us to walk in victory against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have real enemies, and we also have real victory in Christ Jesus. And that's important. Uh, and we'll talk about why that's important. But just remember, chapters 1 through 3 show us who we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 show us how to live out this new identity that we have. Uh, we talked about unity and purity, harmony, and now victory. And we've seen where the gospel story is shaping our story. I, I know I've kind of spent some time talking a lot about this, but it's so important that we get it ingrained of our, in our thinking. It's not my story, it's God's story. And it's the gospel story, and our story fits within that larger framework. And once we understand that, we can start to live out the new identity and the new humanity that we have in Jesus Christ. And Christ is restoring our, our identity through two things. We met, I mentioned them in my prayer. He says, open their eyes to see it. And number two, give them power to live it. And so when we get into this idea of victory, that's what we have to really focus in on. God, help me to see the battle that's raging, and Lord, give me the power to fight well. And so, um, as we look at this passage, keep in mind that Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He wrote several uh, letters to different churches while in prison. And so, he's surrounded by Roman legionnaires, okay? Um, and so, it seems that he's borrowing the the armor that he's seeing from these soldiers and using it to communicate different character traits that God wants us to have in our lives that help us fight the spiritual battle. And that's really, the armor is a picture of our confidence in the gospel. And what I hope I can prove to you is that it's really a picture of Jesus Christ and all that he provides for us. And because we're in union with him, we have the spiritual strength to fight this battle. But Paul likes to use this military um, illustration quite a bit. Uh, he tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that our spiritual weapons are not carnal. They're, they're not physical, but they're spiritual, and they're mighty to pull down strongholds, to, to fight and destroy the enemy, to tear down their reinforced positions, so to speak. He tells Timothy, fight the good fight. He says, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He tells the Thessalonians to put on the breastplate of love and faith. He tells them to put on the helmet uh, of the hope of salvation. So he uses similar language, but he actually mixes it up and uses different terms for these different, or associates different characteristics with the different pieces of armor. Um, and then he reminds us, uh, as you read all this, you know what it reminds us of is this, that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. 
And I don't think we always really consider that. I think sometimes we just kind of go about life and, and life just kind of happens around us. But I want us to live with in, intentional spiritual um, readiness so that we can see that Satan is attacking us fiercely and he's using the world and the flesh as, as uh, tools against us. But God has given us the victory in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about some of those things, being ready to fight. First of all, I want us to see that we need to resist the enemy. If you're here in verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles, the schemes, the strategies of the devil. So we see then that we have this enemy who is intent on destroying us. Here's the thing is, Satan hates God, so he hates you because you follow God. So if he fights against God and opposes him, he's going to oppose you. You know, he hated that Adam bore the image of God because he hates the image of God. He wants to be God, try to usurp God's authority. And so he attacked Adam because Adam bore the image of God and his glory was reflected in Adam's life. And you know what? He, he knows that you're going to reflect the glories of Jesus the King. So he wants to try to destroy that image in you. He is out to destroy you. We have to be ready for it. As a matter of fact, though, uh, the, really the Bible tells us that there are three enemies. Uh, we call them the, the trio of temptation, uh, the trifecta of terror. I could go on like this for hours. I just love this kind of stuff. Uh, but what we're seeing here is that uh, this is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. So we're not fighting against people per se, although we see Satan's work in this world involves people. So sometimes the physical manifestation of Satan's opposition might be in a person. It, we, it might be a person trying to, to teach false doctrine. It may be a person who attacks and persecutes us, uh, maybe even imprisons us. But we have to keep in mind that those people are trapped by Satan. They're being abused by him to do his will. So our fight is not with them. We fight with the gospel to free them and so they can come into the kingdom of light and leave the kingdom of darkness under which they are under Satan's control. We see this one called the devil here. Now, here's the thing. Is his, his name is Satan, but the devil uh, is, is a title. And really, as you look through Scripture, uh, there's really a lot of titles that's used of this adversary. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9 says, you need to be sober and be vigilant. Be awake, be ready, he's saying. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then he tells them this, resist him steadfast in your faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It's not just you, he's saying. They're attacking all over, or he's attacking all over. But you have to fight. Don't give in. Don't give up. He's the architect of anarchy. Yes, I told you I had more. <laughs> he's constantly fighting to get us to rebel against God like he rebelled against God, to rebel against God's good purposes like he rebelled against God's purposes. Man, you want to look and see how nasty this guy is? I call him guy, but he's an angel, right? Uh, this, how nasty he is. Look at the story of Job in the Old Testament. He is nasty. He goes through uh, and is 
takes all of Job's children, takes all of his possessions, covers his body in painful sores so that Job began to despair of life. He's nasty. Think also in the New Testament of Judas. The Bible says Satan entered Judas' heart and he betrayed Jesus, who should, was supposed to be his friend. He was a disciple of Jesus, a follower, or at least pretended to be one. So the, John 10.10 10 reminds us that the, he only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But the crazy thing is it also says he appears as an angel of light. <laughs> he appears harmless or even perhaps good at times. But really what he is is just out to destroy thing is he has no he is no friend of humanity he is out to kill that's why it would never made sense to me as people who worship satan it's like do you really know who i mean i know they're presenting a different a different viewpoint of who lucifer or satan is but the fact is he's not your friend he's out to kill and destroy but he has a couple of things that he uses as tools against us uh, the first is the flesh Okay, the flesh. And in Scripture, we said, um, a matter of fact, uh, look over to Ephesians chapter 2. You're, you're there in uh, chapter 6, but if you turn a few pages over to chapter 2, we, we see this, this trifecta of evil here. In chapter 2, verse 1, And you who you made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins, and once you walk, once walked according to the course of this world, there's one, according to the prince and power of the air, that's number two, that's Satan, the spirit who's now working the sons of disobedience, among whom also we conducted ourselves in the third, lust of the flesh. So you have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Satan is using the world, using our flesh against us in order to cause us to rebel against God. Uh, the flesh is our, uh, the foothold of Satan. If you, we don't have time this morning, but if you were to look at James chapter 1 and verses 12 through 15, uh, you see how he tempts us to, to see sin, to crave it, to desire it, and then to yield to it, and then it ultimately brings death. We, we see it, we crave it, and then we yield to it. And what we see is that there is this foothold of Satan, our fallen humanity, uh, our corrupted body. We still live in this corrupted body, so we can still want bad things. Reminds me of something a British newspaper sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And writer G.K. Chesterton responded, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> you see, he realized that the problem is just not around us. The problem is in us as well. And this is the, the foothold. This is the beachhead which Satan has established in us that we have to constantly fight so that our flesh doesn't rule us because Satan's going to be working. He's going to be attacking us in our weak moments. He's going to be attacking us in our weakest areas. He doesn't fight fair. He's not going to he doesn't want a fair fight. He wants to get you when you least expect it. He wants to attack you in the areas where you're the most vulnerable. He's exploiting that. So that's why it's so, so important that we keep on drawing near to Jesus Christ, seeing those areas in which we tend to yield to sin and be, as the Bible talks about, killing those fleshly desires. Uh, a word they used many years ago that we don't use much anymore is mortification. 
We think of mortician. We need to kill those areas, those, those lusts that begin to well up in our hearts when we're tempted. We need to kill them before they have a chance to act. And so we have the devil. He uses the flesh. And then we see also the world. Now, the world refers to the system around us. It's not necessarily the people, although Satan does use people at times. It's really referring to the system around us that is opposed to God. And here's the thing is, the world is going to cater to your fleshly desires. If you want something, it will make sure you get it. And uh, matter of fact, uh, how it describes it is in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. He tells us, don't love the world. You say, well, what didn't Jesus or God so loved the world? That's what it says in John 3, 16. But he's telling us, hey, don't love the world's system, the world's way of thinking, uh, the way the world is constantly pleasing itself by using the things that God created for selfish and sinful purposes. God wants us to have a whole different view of the created world. He says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the love here is talking about a, a devotion and, and an adoration of something. In other words, we love what the world has to offer because it pleases our flesh. And then so we begin to devote ourselves to just pleasing the flesh, getting what we want instead of doing what God wants us to do. We see instead of worshiping the Creator, we begin to worship the creation and begin to try to draw from it what only God can give us. Uh, you heard me talk about them many times. I'm going to keep on repeating them because these are the three things every person really wants. Satisfaction, security, and significance. Satisfaction, we want pleasure, right? Uh, security, we want to make sure everything's going to be okay. You know, I'm secure. A lot of times people heap treasures to themselves. They gather possessions because they think, once I have a certain amount of money, then nothing can touch me. Read history, <laughs> the Great Depression. Uh, there is no security in this life, but yet we long to say, I, I want to I be control of my own environment, so I'm going to ensure that I'm safe by surrounding myself with everything that I think I need and just holding on to it. And the last thing is significance. I want to know that I am somebody. I want to know that I matter to someone, that I'm important, that I, that I have some worth and value. Now, all these things should be things we find in God, there are things that he's given us in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 is, is telling us you have more than you can even imagine in Christ Jesus. Don't look for it in this created world. You're just going to be disappointed, and it's going to turn those things which are many times good in themselves into something bad by making them idle. Money's not bad, but the desire to be rich is covetousness, you see? And so he's we're reminded that this world cannot provide what our heart is really looking for. I like how Warren Wearsby described the world. He simply said it's a society apart from God. Listen, we have no idea how bad things can get the further we get from God. But let me tell you something. You look at history, and the greatest empires of the world rotted from the inside out. They rotted from the inside out. Their morals began to, to, to become so corrupt. Their, the, the lives they lived so corrupt that eventually they fell as whole nations and empires. 
Don't think for a moment that somehow America will escape the same kind of destiny. The more we rot from the inside out, the weaker we truly become. God's been very good, and we're very thankful for that. But folks, we have to realize that as we grow apart from God, it's going to get worse. But hey, listen, I'm not here to give you a bleak picture so you go home like Charlie Brown, you know. Just, just, I don't want you to become Eeyore, okay? Uh, the fact is, is in this battle, we have uh, armor that God has given us to fight against this. And so uh, Satan has been given some freedom to operate in this realm. He does have some influence over it that God has sovereignly allowed him to have. But you know what? It's not absolute. And so God is working for us. And so we have to resist the enemy. And it's the world, first of all, the devil, and he uses the world and the flesh against us. But second of all, we see we have to remember our equipment, okay? We have to armor up, so to speak. He says in verse 10, be strong the Lord and the power of his might. Now, this is what we have to see. These are not separate things. Like, hey, put on some armor and then also be strong. I think the idea is this. You are strong when you put on the armor. <laughs> that is the strength. Don't fight in your own flesh and strength. You need to put on God's armor because that is God's resources of strength to fight the battle. And we need to look at this holistically. What am I talking about? Uh, holistic just simply means not in parts, but the whole, right? So it's not something where it's like, well, today I think I'll grab the sword of the Spirit. I think I'll put on the helmet of salvation, and I think I'm good. <laughs> No, 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 no. This is a, what's known as a panoply. Uh, this is a heavy armor soldier. They had lightly armored soldiers. They had cavalry in the, the Roman, uh, uh, Roman uh, army. And uh, they had archers, and they had different kind of armaments based on this. What he's describing is their heavily armored soldier. Now, oftentimes they also had uh, like a spear as well. He doesn't mention that. But what he's saying is, all of this goes together. You don't pick and choose what you want for the day. You need all of it every day is what he's trying to say. Uh, it's kind of like this. Uh, in college, you can study science or applied science, math or applied mathematics. Basic science deals with the understanding fundamental problems like how a cell works, whereas an applied science would be something like a medical doctor taking the science and putting it into practice in real life. The aim here is not just studying armor as these things, but to actually live the Christian life in real time with the real power of God. You see, theology is always applied theology. There is no theoretically theoretical theology. There's only applied theology. Everything that he, the Bible says is meant to arm us in some way to fight the battle. So there's two things I want to, before we look at these pieces of armor, I want to say two things, and it's this. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. That's very important. And then number two, we don't fight alone. We don't fight alone. Let me just visit those real briefly, okay? When he says be strong in the power of his might, remember what he's talking about is you're strong when you put on the armor, our victory is found in putting on the grace that God gives us through Christ Jesus. 
Now, here's something very interesting. Although Paul is probably referring to Roman armor because, you know, he is in a Roman prison, so he's probably seeing it every day, there is a connection that's very important we need to make in our minds, and that's to the book of Isaiah, okay? And there in Isaiah, what he presents is a Messiah who, like a warrior general leading an army, is armed for battle, and he defeats Satan and all the enemies of God's people. We see this kind of uh, thread that goes through um, Isaiah of Messiah, Jesus Christ, being the warrior who wins the victory. And I think he's actually referring to this, to saying, hey, listen, this isn't about you just grabbing some armor and putting it on. You know what you're putting on? You're putting on Christ. <laughs> you're really putting on Christ. It's your, it's your connection with Jesus Christ that gives you the victory. So he's, he's kind of reminding them of Isaiah and the warrior Messiah who's fighting for his people. Uh, we see this. I'm going to kind of rapid fire. If you're taking notes, you can write these down and look at out a little bit better. But Isaiah talks about Messiah and his triumph. Isaiah 59, 16, and 17. He saw that there was no man and wondered why there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his righteousness sustained him. For he put on, the righteous, put on righteousness as a breastplate. Sound familiar? And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. Again, the Messiah, there's a picture in uh, the book of Isaiah of how the, uh, all the nations fall. But God calls for one, even though Israel had been defeated, God calls for one who would win the victory, and that is Messiah. He goes on in verses like 11.5, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. We know this is Messiah because in the passage he talks about being the root of Jesse. <laughs> and how the Spirit will rest upon him, and how he judges with righteousness and equity. In Isaiah 49.2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is all about the good news of the reign of Messiah. You see the connections he's making here? So let me just boil it down and say this. What we're really do, doing is what we said earlier in another message, that we're to put off the flesh, the old humanity, to re be renewed in the spirit of our minds, it says, and then to put on the new man, put on Christ. This armament is just describing who Jesus is. He's all these things. And as we are constantly putting on Jesus Christ, putting off the old man, changing our thinking to the new humanity ethics, and then putting on the characteristics of Christ, that's how you're strong in the Lord. Sometimes we get so caught up with saying, well, did I have the shield of faith today? Honestly, the shield of faith is just confidence in Christ. <laughs> Having faith in Him. Now, do I have the sword of the Spirit? Now, yes, we might memorize verses. You should do that. That's part of uh, renewing your mind. And, but, but it's not just specific things like, okay, the Word of God, so what part of it? Yes, it's, of course it's the Word of God. But what we're saying is this, that Jesus Christ was the living Word, 
and we've been given the written word, so really we're just putting on the mind of Christ by putting in the word in our hearts. All these things are really just references to Jesus. Can I say it this way? Jesus is the key to your victory. Don't focus on each piece of armor. Focus on, am I putting on Jesus Christ? And that's how we win the victory. Here's the thing is, Jesus has already beat the axis of evil, right? He's already beaten the world, the flesh, and the devil. In Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, he says that Jesus defeated the powers. How do you defeat Satan? Through Jesus. He's already defeated them. His victory is your victory, right? We fight from a place of victory. We don't fight to get the victory. We fight in victory because we're in Christ and Christ already won. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that God now gives us the power to live in Christ as the new humanity. You see, Christ is the truth, John 14, 6. He is our righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He's our peace. He's, his faithfulness is what makes faith actually possible. He is our salvation. He is the word of God. You see, Christ is the armor. Put on Jesus Christ. And that's how we stand fast. We also have to see this. We fight as an army, not as individuals. We don't fight just with God's armor. We fight with God's army, right? If we're in Christ, it's his armor. But we're in Christ with other people, so it's his army. We don't see it as something that we do alone. We're in Christ. We're gathered together in intentional communities called the local church, and we fight together. Remember, this passage is in context of what he said in chapter 4. The fact is, sometimes we actually isolate Scripture from its surrounding context, and we come to weird conclusions. Don't do that. You see, chapter 6 comes after chapter 4. Chapter 4 talks about unity of the body, how we need each other. And then he says, now you're going to fight together as an army. You know, we have this idea, this vision of being kind of the lone defender, uh, being the army of one, kind of the western lone ranger or army of one, like I said. And even sometimes, and, and hear me out, okay, listen, we can kind of get the mentality that we as fathers, I'm the lone defender of my home. Well, according to this passage, you really shouldn't be. You see, Paul, if we would have said things like army of one, he would have laughed out loud. He, he would have said, listen, have you ever seen an army fight? <laughs> you see, he, he knew Roman legion tactics. They did not fight alone. If they did, they died. You see, they fought as a unit. But even back then, he would have known the history of Israel. Think about Israel as they're traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. How did they fight? They fought as a people fighting for the people. It wasn't just me fighting for my family. It was me fighting for everyone's family. Because if it was just me fighting for my family, I would die. Think about it. This is how villages survived in the, in the ancient world. They lived in this community. And when there was an enemy coming in from the outside, they rallied all of the, of the men together to fight for everyone. It's like, well, you know, I'm not, not going to worry about them attacking that house. That's not my house. No. Everyone fought for everyone. It's only in this weird Western culture that we live in that we get this idea, it's all about me. It's me being the lone defender. No, you die. 
Your village dies if you fight alone. What they would do is they would gather together as men to defend the entire village. And you know what I said? We need each other. We're fighting this together. You get caught out in the open with Satan, you're a goner. You're dead. Paul would have never had that mentality in his mind. That's not spiritually healthy thinking. You need other people. So we fight as an army, not just as individuals. But let's look at some of these things just really quickly, okay? He mentions, first of all, girding your waist with truth, or we would call it the belt of truth. And I think this has the idea of not just truth as in objective truth, like, you know, God's word is true. That's certainly part of it. But I think it has the idea of the truthfulness of God, or that truth exists in God, or that God is truth. I can say it this way. It's confidence in God's character of being true. And see, the belt would have been where a lot of the other weapons and provisions would have been attached. Uh, Think of kind of like a utility belt uh, in construction where you have all your tools. Uh, The the dagger, the sword, and, and other types of things would have been as part of of the belt. And it kind of just gathers everything up and allows us then to fight well. So how can we describe this? Truth has to do with how God has revealed himself through the word. How God reveals himself as a whole. And what he's saying is this, you have to be confident in who God is and you know who God is from his word. Fill your mind with God's word so you know who God is. So when you go to fight against Satan, you know who you're fighting for and you know who's fighting for you, right? That's the whole point, I think, of the belt of truth. It's knowing who God is and living in light of that truth. The problem is we oftentimes fail to live out truth because we just don't know it. That's why Paul prayed that God would open up their eyes to see truth who Jesus really is. But then he goes on to the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, right as God sees it. And notice that it's a, uh, in Paul's day, it would have been a leather and metal um, vest that would have protected both the front and the back from uh, attacking the vital organs. It would protect their vital organs. And so righteousness is seen as from two aspects in Scripture. Imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. And I think both are embedded in here. We protect our heart. We protect our spiritual lives and our spiritual health, so to speak, first of all, by remembering that our standing before God is secure because of what Jesus did for us. Listen, if you're just relying on your goodness from day to day to to be the reason why God accepts you, you're going to have some up days and some very down days. And even, by the way, on the up days, you're fooling yourself. (laughs) You're not as good as you think you are. But see, we realize that my righteousness, how my standing before God, how God feels about me, how God sees me, is completely dependent on what Jesus did for me, not what I do for God. And so I can fight the battle not going, I wonder how God feels. I mean, does he like me today? Should I even be fighting? We don't have to live in that insecurity. We can just rest secured. Hey, even on my worst days, God sees me through the righteousness of Christ. He loves me, and that will never change. And I can fight. 
I can fight. That kind of dispels that doubt. The breastplate of righteousness is also not only imputed righteousness, that's where God puts righteousness on our account that Jesus earned, but also imparted righteousness. Because we're in Christ Jesus, he's going to actually take his righteous life and begin to infuse it into us so that we live practical lives of righteousness. In other words, your life should be changing to be more like Jesus if you're actually in Christ. Now, not to say that at times we won't struggle. There's times when we will struggle. And maybe say, man, I feel like I'm going backwards, not forwards. But as an overall trajectory of your life, you're going to see a life that's changing to be more like Jesus Christ. That's that real practical part of putting off, renewing, and putting on. But then he talks about what I call the gospel combat boots. How many of you were in the military at some point? Military, okay. Got a few guys, military, okay. Uh, so, you know, footwear becomes a very important thing. You're on your feet a lot. And uh, they design footwear, uh, not primarily probably for comfort, although we hope they are, uh, but also because they have uh, character traits that make it better to perform your job and to fight under adverse conditions. And so even the boots that they give will be adapted to what fighting environment that you're going to be experiencing. Well, what we have here is the gospel combat boots. This is the peace and joy that flows from our relationship with God. Now, these were not like modern combat boots. They were open-toed sandals, which makes no sense to me, okay? I barely like open-toed sandals. I mean, it's like, or like, you know, flip-flops even. It's like my feet feel so exposed. Uh, I like a good solid shoe, right? Uh, uh, I like a good tennis shoe. Other people are like, no, you got to let them breathe, baby. <laughs> you got you to gotta let some air get to them. Okay, I get it, okay? Uh, but what they had was an open-toed sandal that usually had leather straps that would kind of go up around the shin, and on the bottom, they would nail through nails. They weren't stepping on the sharp part. The sharp part went down, okay? And uh, they, perf they were basically cleats. And this was very important because, remember, uh, a Roman legion was around 5,000 soldiers, and they fought as a unit. And there are some that said a, a Roman legion fighting on an open ground against the enemy was almost invincible. Because they were so disciplined, and they would march forward together in unit with their, their shields interlocked, their spears sticking out, and they literally would move forward, just absolutely devastating thing, everything in front of them. And those cleats helped them not only to stand when the force came against them to not move, but then to also push and advance forward. And so this gospel combat boots has the idea of our relationship with the Father is one of peace. Because Jesus earned peace for us. God now, the gospel of peace, gospel means good news. The good news of peace with God means that we can stand firm because we know that we're right with God through Jesus Christ. And so not only does it allow us not to let Satan knock us down because we're like, I know that I'm saved in Christ Jesus. I know I have peace with God. We push back against Satan's uh, onslaught. But not only that, we're so excited, we begin to march forward and take the good news of this peace to the whole world. We begin to push Satan backwards and move forwards. And that's the ideal here. And then he talks about the shield of faith. That's firm reliance on God's will, God's ways, and God's word. These were not small bucklers, uh, uh, as the Bible describes, just small round shields. These were large two 
to two and a half by four, four and a half feet. They were large uh, shields, and they would put these together interlocking so that nothing could be able to get through them. When they fired even fiery darts, uh, talking about uh, arrows that were dipped in flammable substance, set on fire, and then fired at you. I can't think of many things more horrifying <laughs> than a flaming arrow getting stuck in me. And so they would take these shields, they would interlock them above and below so that they would hit, and then they would cover their shields, they would douse them in water or some other liquid that would actually put the flammable substance out. So then they could move as this really moving fortress toward the enemy, even as they fired these darts at them, uh, or these flaming arrows, so to speak. It's a pretty incredible thing that uh, would happen here. And what is faith? It's absolute confidence of God in all things. Satan's going to try to get us to doubt. And the root of all sin is really unbelief. It's where we don't trust God. You know why we give in to sin? Because there's something about God we really don't believe he'll give us. I got to get this sin because I don't think God's going to give me what I'm going to get out of the sin. And so we trade that which is truly good for that which is, well, like feeding on the husk, like the prodigal son. We feast on pig food instead of feasting on the goodness of God. We we just exchange God's goodness for Satan's garbage food is really what we might call it. And so faith is believing that what God says in his word, how he chooses to, um, to execute his will in this world. Now, how does that work in real life? Here's the thing is, is we look at God's word and we say, okay, I'm willing to do that. But are you okay with God choosing to bring hardship and suffering in your life? That's God's ways and God's will. I mean, there's many times it says, I read in Scripture where it says, uh, every son he loves, he disciplines. And so every time that God brings hardship in my life, I know that God is actually training me in righteousness. And yet, you know what my flesh says? I want this to stop right now. I want it to end right now. But God says, but Jeremy, haven't you read James? It brings forth this fruit of righteousness. Didn't you read what it says about hardship? I don't care, Lord. I want it to end. See, are we willing to accept the way God works in our life? The shield of faith is saying this. I can fight against the enemy because I trust not only God's word, but I I trust how he executes those promises, how, how he performs those promises, and how he does his work in my life. That... Now, here's the thing is, if you doubt God, if you doubt his ways in your life, you're not going to stand when things get tough. You're going you're gonna to buckle. He's saying, listen, you need to decide right now what God says in his word is the right way to live. God's will and ways in my life, whatever he chooses to do is the best thing for me. Whether I like it, whether I agree with it, it's the best thing for me. Then we got to move quickly. The helmet of salvation you know, what the head co- or you know what the helmet covers? It covers your head, right? It covers your head. Uh, that's your thinking. And so when you think about the helmet of salvation, uh, in Thessalonians it calls it the hope of salvation. The idea is this, is I trust God's saving work in my life. I trust God's sanctifying. I think both of these are embedded in all this armament. I trust the way God chooses to save his people. And I choose the way or I choose to trust the way God makes his people like Jesus. I trust that. Because if you don't, now listen, 
Satan is going to try to fill your head with doubts. You know what the, the, the two things that Satan's got against us that he tries to use against us? Discouragement and doubt. If you're discouraged, you won't fight. And if you doubt, you won't fight. You need to know what you're fighting for and that what you're fighting for is good. And if Satan can get you to question that, you'll put down the shield, you'll put down the sword, you'll sit down and say, I think I'm done fighting. And that's exactly what he wants. You put down your armor, you put down your weapons, you're vulnerable, he's going to come after you. Trust his saving works. When God controls your mind, then Satan can't lead you astray. Fill your mind with good doctrine. Some people get like, oh, I don't need doctrine. I just, you know, I just need to trust in Jesus. And well, here's the thing is, is doctrine is what you trust about Jesus. You need to learn doctrine. Read doctrine and learn and get a good idea of how God works in his world through studying these things. That will keep you from getting discouraged. That will keep you from doubting and being taken uh, out of the action, because that's what Satan's trying to do. And then the sword of the Spirit. This is one of the only offensive weapons. Uh, the sword was an 18-inch uh, common Roman sword that they used. And the sword of the Spirit, it says, which is the Word of God. So uh, the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it says, right? So the Word of God, this is referring to our application of truth to everyday issues of life. Everyday issues. We're going to when you understand the word of God and you come into battle, you're going to see, here's what's crazy. It's not, it doesn't even just say that you can defend against Satan's attacks. It says that you can fight against the wiles, the strategies. It's like this. You can see his strategies. You say, nope, I see what you're doing. You don't even have to wait for the attack. You see what's going on and you're able, yep, I see exactly what's going on here. And you're able to avoid that um, his onslaught in that area. Listen, you fill your heart with the wisdom of God's word and you're going to be ready to fight against all of Satan's tactics, all his strategies, and all his assaults. I got to move very quickly. Okay, so rely on his energy. I'm just gonna, this is verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints, okay? So rely on his energy. What energy am I talking about? I'm talking about prayer energy, <laughs> The fact is, is if we're putting on Christ, what better thing could we do than to be praying that Christ would enable us to stand and be victorious, right? And so here he tells them, keep on praying with perseverance. Uh, I like to say it this way, continual, persistent, hopeful, spirit-filled communion. Let me say that again, continual, persistent, hopeful, spirit-filled communion with God. Because look what he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So this is spirit-filled communion with God. Being watchful to this end. That means persevering. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. I don't feel like praying. Don't stop praying. Let me tell you something. When you don't feel like praying, that's when you need to pray. That's when you need to pray. That's when you know Satan is really creating doubts and discouragement in your heart. You need to pray when you don't feel like praying. If you say, I don't have someone help you, call up a friend and say, listen, pray with me. Pray for me. I can't tell you how many times uh, uh, just even this last month, the last 30 days, I've gotten texts from guys in our church saying, pray for me, Satan's attacking, pray for me, I'm struggling. And man, we stop, I stop, I pray, and other people pray, and I see, I hear the reports of what God did, and my heart is thrilled. We need prayer. And then lastly, rest in his encouragement. So he kind of rounds out by telling us he gives us three things. He gives us partners, he gives us people, and he gives us power. Uh, what am I talking about that? He says, praying always for 
with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We all need prayer, right? And then he says this, and by the way, this really just floors me and pray for me. I'm thinking, Paul, you're like the most awesome Christian ever, right? I mean, I would want you to pray for me, but me pray for you? He's like, oh, no, no, I need your prayers. Prayers for what? He says, that utterance may be given to me so I can open my mouth boldly. You're the boldest person I know. I'm only bold because Jesus, pray for me that I can continue to walk in Christ. That's awesome. Hey, if Paul needs help, you need help. I promise you. And then he goes on to say, speak boldly as I ought to be. And he said he's an ambassador in chains. I love this. <laughs> he's, he didn't say, oh, Satan's got me trapped in these chains. He's like, God made me an ambassador in chains. I've got a prison ministry. <laughs> you know, he just has this hopeful, joyful spirit. He's like, hey, it doesn't matter where Satan tries to throw me. God puts me there on purpose so that I can serve and preach the gospel. He said, yeah, I'm just an ambassador in change. You know what? Some of them Roman soldiers needed to hear Jesus, hear about Jesus, and God put me right where I can talk to them. And then what? I'm not chained to them. They're chained to me. They can't get away from me no matter what they say. They're like, oh, please, this guy will not stop with the Jesus stuff. He's like, oh, I got all day. I got all day. It's so awesome how he views life. But then he goes on and just ends with these kind of rapid-fire principles. But that you may know of my affairs and how I'm doing, I'm going to send you Tychicus, my beloved brother. Uh, read a lot of times at the end of Paul's books, um, epistles, you'll see where he talks about a lot of different people that's part of his life. Paul had partners in ministry. He was no lone wolf, okay? He was no lone ranger. He was a guy that surrounded himself with good people, and they fought together. And so we know we all need that. If you want to serve powerfully, don't serve by yourself. Serve with other people. By the way, serving with other people always makes it more fun, doesn't it? I mean, it's always fun when you get to be with the brothers, brothers and sisters doing God's work together. Then you all get to celebrate. You know, a party with just one person is not that much fun. But when you celebrate what God is doing together, man, it's awesome. But he also gives us people. And then he, notice how he says, he calls him my beloved brother. Verse 23, peace to the brethren, brothers and sisters. I love that. Now, we've talked about it a lot, so I won't belabor the point. But here's the thing is, is we're a family. And we need to see each other as family. You know, sometimes when people just ab abandon churches, they don't even say anything anyway. They're just like, oh, yeah, I just stopped going. Yeah. It's like, did you, did you see it as a family? Because I would never walk out on my family without saying anything. That, that's, that's actually, that's pretty terrible. We need to get in our minds, this is our family. We rise and fall together. We fight and die together. We do this together. We live life together. We need each other more than we can even imagine. And Paul got this. That's why he called them brothers and sisters. One of probably one of the greatest titles we can be given uh, because of our faith in Christ, that we're a brother or sister in Christ. And then he talks about, as he ends, the power. Verse 23, peace for, to the brethren, love with faith from the God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He just rapid fire says, hey, let me just remind you of a few things. And he doesn't take time to belabor it, so I won't. He says a couple things that I've been talking about this entire letter to you. I want to remind you of them. He says, first of all, he gives us peace. Remember what we already learned about it. In chapter 2, verse 14, Christ came and preached peace to those who were far away. That's us. We were Gentiles, not Jews. We didn't grow up with the old covenant. 
He said, guess what? Jesus wants you too. Come on. <laughs> I love that. So he preached peace to those who are far away. He preached peace. And then he reminds them in chapter 4, verse 3, that the unity we experience is through the bond of peace. You know how churches get along? Because they choose peace. Not because they feel peace, but because they choose peace. Now, we should experience peace in Christ, and so that should produce peace with each other. But let me just say this. Even if you don't feel peaceful, choose peace. It's amazing how if you choose what God says is right, your feelings will catch up to you. <laughs> they will. He talks about love and faith. This goes back to chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you are rooted and grounded in his love. Right? And he says, so that you may know the height, breadth, depth, and length of his love. He goes, I, you need to know how much Jesus loves you. Listen, every day you need to rehearse that. And I'm not talking about some, some weird mantra, you know, uh, like uh, Stuart Smalley, where you're like, you know, I'm good enough, and I'm, it's not like that. But you should get up and say, no matter what I feel today, I am, I am loved by God. One of the most amazing things about salvation is this. You know what the essence of salvation is? I mean, you can break it down into adoption, justification, all these words. But you know what the essence is this? Is in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit loved each other. And they said, we want you to experience it. Come, experience my love. Isn't that amazing? He's invited us into the love that they have for each other. That's what he says in John. That the love with which you love me, they may have. I want them to know that you love them the way you love me, Father. We need to remind ourselves daily, Jesus loves us. God the Father loves us, and he's for us, not against us. And he talks about grace. Oh, man, what did Paul talk about grace in this? He said over and over, I want you to know the riches of grace. Grace is God's favor toward you because of Jesus. In other words, God is giving you everything because you're in Jesus Christ. And he says, you need to know everything you have. Let your eyes keep on getting open, people. Keep on experiencing the power. When, when Jesus, when you grow close to Jesus Christ, he's going to open your eyes to what you have. And then he's going to say, now, I'm going to give you the power to live that out every day. Now, folks, that's something worth getting up in the morning for, isn't it? Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for what we learned in this book. Oh, man, my heart is just so full of wonder and, and so full of really amazement. I mean, God, why in the world would you give someone like me who was a rebel, who was sinful and, and really was running from you, had hostility and hatred toward you, and yet God in love, you reached down, drew me to yourself in love, invited me to be part of of this love that you, Father, you have for the Son and the Spirit and they had for you. God, you, you said, I want you to experience it. It's so amazing. I want you to, to know what that's like. And through faith, we came into Jesus Christ. And now you have just lavished out, pour out on us every day the riches because we're in Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's like you just can't give us enough. You just pour out and pour out. It, it seems... Yes, we can focus in on the negative during our days. But Lord, if we would see all that we had and let our minds just be gripped by that, Lord, our attitudes would change. God, 
there are not enough songs that we can sing to tell you how grateful we are. God, there's not, a, there's not enough that we can do and, and say to, to, to show you how much this really means to us. But Lord, it is our privilege to spend the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity telling you how amazing you are. So God, let us live that kind of life today. God, let us, let us just, just be filled with awe with who you are and let our lips and our hearts and our lives just flow with this unending praise to you. God, help us to experience all that we have in Jesus Christ, to stop feeding on the garbage food of this world. Instead, say, I want to feast on the riches of Christ. You set a banquet that is, is of, of more than I can imagine, and I want to I have a taste of everything. Lord, help us to be those kind of people. And Lord, you know my heart breaks for those who don't yet know Christ this way. <laughs> they may be grown up being quote-unquote Christian, or they've grown up in church, and they've seen it just kind of as this religion or this thing that everyone around them believes, but they've never seen who Christ is, and they've never said, okay, that's it. This is all about Jesus now, and I'm gonna, my life belongs to him. I'm going to follow him. He's the only way to, to you, God, and, and he's, he's what life is really all about, and my eternal destiny is, is all wrapped up in him. I want Jesus. And God, if there's anyone who doesn't yet know Christ this way, they would respond to the working of your spirit and they would believe the gospel. They would cling to it with all their minds and hearts and souls. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us. Revive us, Lord. Revive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope that you have a fantastic week and you just see God's lavish blessings on your life. Uh, and I'll speak a blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Have a wonderful week.